Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to an all new season of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. This season, we're diving into some of the most unusual missing person cases from the shocking disappearance of Charlie Ross to the American Diatlov Pass disappearances. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Lace. Today we're diving into the latest cold case file. Today we're discussing... The Murder Room 1046. First, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pondex. Visit pondex.com and use promo code TCNS for 10% off your first purchase. And let's get into the main story. Secret of what occurred in Room 1046 at the Hotel President stays inexplicable right up till the present time. In spite of unloaded documents of evidence, he had no baggage other than a search and a toothbrush, and requested an inside room on a high floor of the lodging. He checked in under the name Roland T. Owen, and whined to the bellboy about the incredible costs of an adjoining lodging. In the wake of checking in and accepting his room, room 1046 on the 10th floor, he left the lodging just to be seen irregularly all through his stay. Though the man's conduct struck the President Hotel staff as odd, they didn't have a favorable opinion of him. All things considered, the inn frequently played host to tourists and financial specialists, searching for some late-night organization, and the less the staff got included, the better. The staff wouldn't really think about his conduct until six days after the fact. When the man turned up dead, his lodging a severe bloodbath. As they depict, depicted the release, a merciless scene, questions emerged about the man's conduct preceding his demise, uncovering exactly how peculiar that conduct had been. On January 3rd, one day after Owen looked in the lodging, the in-house cleaner, Mary Soptic, made a trip to tidy up his room. It was around early afternoon, and the greater part of the lodging's inhabitants were out for the afternoon. Notwithstanding, after arriving at Owen's room, Soptic discovered the way to be bolted from the inside. She thumped and Owen opened the entryway. In the week of demanding she could return later, Soptic in the long run entered. She found the room in practically complete haziness, with the shades taut and the solitary light coming from a little faint table lamp. As she cleaned, Owen referenced that he had a companion staying with him. In a matter of seconds, would she mind not locking the entryway? Soptic concurred, and Owen left the room. After four hours, Soptic got back to room 1046 with new towels. 
She found the entryway actually open from when she had tidied up the room that evening. And after entering, discovered Owen laying completely dressed on top of his actually made bed, apparently snoozing. A note on his bedside table read, Where I will be back quickly. Wait. The next morning, January 4th, Soptic's odd association with the room 1046 continued. Around 10.30 a.m., she made a trip to make the beds and discovered Owen's entryway to be bolted from an external... <coughs> Owen laying completely dressed <coughs> to be bolted from an external perspective. My bad. As it would be when benefactors left. Expecting Owen was not inside, she opened the entryway with her lord key. Amazingly, Owen was sitting inside, in obscurity, in the seat toward the side of the room. As she cleaned, the telephone rang, and Owen got, No, Don, I prefer not to eat. I'm not ravenous. I just ate, he said. After seconds, he rehashed, No, I'm not eager. After he hung up, Owen started investigating Soptic about her work. started investigating Soptic better work. In the end, the first occasion when he had at any point truly addressed her, he got some information about the number of rooms she was responsible for, what sort of individuals lived in these rooms, assuming any, and again grumbled about the cost of the adjoining lodging. Soptic addressed immediately, got done with cleaning, and left Owen alone in room 1046. It was solely after she left that she understood that since the entryway had been bolted from an external perspective, somebody needed to have secured Owen his own room. Soon thereafter, Soptic got back with new towels, having taken the ones from the room that morning. In any case, as she thumped, at this time she heard two voices in the room, instead of just Owen. At the point when she declared that she had new towels, Profound voice advised her to leave, guaranteeing that they had enough towels. Despite the fact she realized that she had eliminated every one of the towels from the room that morning, Soptic left the two men be, not wishing to encroach upon what was plainly a touchy private conversation. That same evening, the President Hotel got two additional visitors whose presence would contribute extraordinarily to the secret of what befell Roland T. Owen in room 1046. The original was a Jean Owen of no connection to Roland. She had come to Kansas City to meet her sweetheart for the afternoon and concluded that as opposed to driving right back to her old neighborhood on the edges of the city, she would remain for the night in a lodging. After looking into the President Hotel, she was given the room to 1048, directly nearby to Roland. That night, as her as per police explanations, she heard an argument. She told police, I heard a great deal of clamor, which seemed like I was on a similar floor and consisted generally of people talking boisterously and reveling. She said in her assertion at this point, when the commotion proceeded with what was going to call the work area assistant, it chose not to. The other lodging visitor was not exactly a visitor at all. The steward who had been on the job that evening portrayed her as a business leader, lady, who regularly frequented the room 
of the inn's male supporters alight at night. On the evening of January 4th, she came into the inn looking for a man in room 1026. In any case, notwithstanding being an extremely instant client, the lady couldn't appear to discover the man she was worth searching for. In the wake of looking for above and beyond 60 minutes on different floors, she surrendered and returned home. Both of the ladies' assertions would bring up more issues about the destiny of the man in room 1046. The following morning, the attendant got a call from the lodging's phone administrator. The telephone in room 1046 had been free for 10 minutes without anybody using it. The attendant went up to mind Owen and saw that the entryway was bolted with a don't disturb sign tight to the door handle. He knocked on the entryway and Owen advised him to come in. Nonetheless, when the attendant revealed to Owen that the entryway was bolted, he got no reaction. The attendant knocked by and by at that point hollered for Owen to hang up the phone, accepting Owen had essentially been smashed and thumped it free. In any case, after 90 minutes, the phone administrator called the steward once more. The telephone in room 1046 was yet free and had not been hung up by any means. This time, the steward let himself into Owen's room with the expert key. The man was lying bare on the bed, apparently drunk, not wishing to manage him. The attendant basically fixed the telephone, put it back on the receiver, and bolted the entryway behind him. Discussing Owen to his manager, to his shock, after an hour, the phone administrator called once more. The telephone was again off the hook, however, not being used. This time, when the attendant opened the entryway, he found a bloodbath. Owen was sitting nestled into the corner of the room, his head in his grasp, enduring different cut injuries. The bed sheets were stained with blood, and the dividers were splattered with it. The attendant quickly called the police, who took Owen directly to the medical clinic, where specialists found that Owen had been tormented violently. His arms, legs, and neck had been limited by some sort of strain, and his chest supported various cut injuries. He additionally endured penetrated lung and a broken skull. Roland T. Owen was articulated dead at the medical clinic not long after showing up. The specialists additionally found that the injuries on Owen had been incurred a long time before the attendant's first visit to Owen's room that morning. They determined that he had endeavored to call for help on numerous occasions, yet hadn't had the option to make it farther than getting the telephone because of his wounds. At the point when examiners looked through the room, the weirdness proceeded. There were no garments in the room at all, nothing coordinating with the portrayal of Roland T. Owen when he checked in. The only thing important that criminal investigators discovered were four little fingerprints on the phone stand. However, they were not recognized. Besides, criminal investigators found that Roland T. Owen never existed. There was no record of any such man living any place in the U.S and they beseeched general society to offer any facts they had about the strange homicide casualty. Presently, the adjoining inn that Owen had whined such a great amount about, asserting that a man coordinating with the portrayal had remained at the inn on January 1st. He checked under the name Eugene K. Scott. Nonetheless, upon additional examination, the police arrived at a similar impasse they had with Roland T. Owen. No man named Eugene K. Scott 
had any record of truly existing. Over the course of two or three months, different individuals distinguished the body as a friend or family member. However, none of the IDs stuck. At last, the case ran cold, and the analysts chose to cover the body. As they orchestrated a little memorial service, a bundle of roses, and a gift to take care of the burial service costs appeared at the memorial service home with a letter that read, Just love forever, Lucille. A year later, a lady named Ogletree guaranteed that Owen was her child who had been absent for quite a long time. She asserted his name was Artemis Ogletree, and that he had been remaining at another Kansas City region lodging at the time he disappeared. Right up till today, the case stays strong, opened yearly by the Kansas police as new bits of proof unfurl. For now, it appears to be that the secret of room 1046 will never be addressed. With that being said, this is the end of our episode. Thank you for watching. Let us know your thoughts about this case. Send us a tweet at TrueCrimeNS, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. Follow us on Twitter at TrueCrimeNS. Like us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps. Send us a voice message at anchor.fm slash truecrimeneversleeps slash message. Tune in next week for an all-new episode.